Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning again. Glad that you guys are here with us. I echo uh, what Berger shared with you. We're so glad that each and every one of you are here, especially for our first-time guest. Uh, Aaron and I will be back here to my left at our welcome table. We'd love for you to stop by uh, so that we can uh, meet you, and thank you for being here and worshiping with us. Um, if you've got your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start here in verse 12 here in just a moment. We are working through a series together in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so as we do that, typically we do this at the beginning of the year, and we're doing this uh, uh, now we've got a, a partner series that we're working with with Right Now Media, and so uh, we've got a connection with that with Dr. Tony Evans, and he is working through First, Second, and Third John on a Right Now Media series, and we are going to be walking and following along the outline, uh, the pattern of scripture that he's using with that as well. And so a lot of our small groups are going through this, and we have a lot of families that are going through this, and a lot of individuals that are going through this, and you can do that by going on and getting a Right Now Media account if you'd already have one, and so we. We've got these cards. They'll be back here. You can stop. You can grab one. It is free. It is not free for the church. We pay for it, right, as part of our tithes and offerings go into that for discipleship. But you do not have to pay anything specifically in order to do that. So you can go by, grab one of these cards. If you are a guest, you are invited to grab one as well. If you've got friends or family that are not a part of this church and they want to journey with us, you can grab one for them as well. It is wonderful what Right Now Media does, and we're so grateful uh, to have this tool to help us study God's Word. And so we want to make sure uh, that you're a part of that. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump right in as we continue on in our series. So I'm going to read uh, this morning to begin with verses 12 through 14. So if you join me, 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. John writes and he says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the the wicked one. So this is going to be the passage, these three verses, that I think we're going to land on the most this morning. Now we're going to work down through several other verses in this passage as we continue on, but this is going to be our main landing point. Now this passage creates some complications from the very beginning. John is addressing in the written form that we see specifically three groups of people as we read this. He says to the young children, he says to young men, and he says to fathers. Now this week I'm trying to read through and, and understand exactly who he is communicating, and, and more specifically, why is John communicating with these titles? Why is John communicating in these categories? And, and after, if I had way more hair than I had, it would have been pulled out, right? But I'm holding on to the little parts that I've got left up here, right? So I just try to stay away from that. Here's the conclusion that multiple scholars have come to. We don't know. We don't know. But what all the scholars agree is this. He's not just speaking to children. He's not just speaking to young men. He's not just speaking to fathers. And instead what he's doing is, is casting a large net to the church, to the readers as a whole that says that this speaks to you, church. For those of you who claim the name of Jesus Christ, to claim that you are in a saving relationship with Him, that these three verses apply to you. So as we go from here, our struggle might not be with trying to understand, well, who are the children, who are the young men, who are the fathers? But looking at that, regardless of our age, 
regardless of our gender, and understanding that if I claim that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, then these characteristics apply to me. And I think what John's going to help us out with and help his readers out with at the time is this, Christians who are struggling with an identity crisis. And, and, and what I mean by that is this, we, we looked at last week, you know, walking in darkness versus walking in light. And, and I kind of came from that as we navigate through this is that are we one of three different types of people? Am I a person who walks in light and desires to grow in light? Am I a person who walks in the truth of the Lord and desires to walk in the truth of the Lord? If that is you, that is an exciting realization for you to have. I am in Christ and I desire to know him and to be obedient to him. Or am I a person who walks in darkness, but yet expects to grow in light? That all that I do, that all that I pursue, that all that I want are the ways and the patterns of this world. I, I love the fact that we sang graves in the gardens because it's a wonderful picture of what God has done. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me, right? And so what we see in this is, are you someone who walks in darkness, walks in sin, walks in the pursuits of this world, and then steps back and wonders, why is my relationship with Christ stale? Why am I not growing? Why am I struggling? And if that's the realization that you come to today, I'm sorry that's where you are, but I'm excited that you're listening to the Spirit. Or third, am I a person who walks in darkness and expects to grow in darkness? Nah, this ain't for me. This is not where I'm at. This is not what I'm pursuing. Where I'm heading, I know where I'm heading, I know where I'm going whether it's in this life or the next. And what we would say to that is we're glad that you're here. We're glad that this is what you decided to be this morning to find the hope that I'm at. But Christians who struggle with identity crisis, I wanna ask a couple of questions. Ask yourself this, what do I want to be? You ever met someone or maybe it's you and you've gone through what we call midlife crisis? especially in career, and you have that realization that what I'm doing is not what I want to do, and you have the realization that when I grow up, I want to be this, you know? And it's like, that's a tough realization to hit you at 45. Like, I know, I know, right? But at least I'm acknowledging where I'm at, right? What do I want to be? What do I want to become? Ask yourself this in Christ. In him, what do you want to be and what do you want to become? That's the part of, of Christianity, the process of growing in him, of walking in the light, that I recognize and see in myself who I want to be, and if this is who I want to be, then I need to understand that this is what I need to become. That praise the Lord, he's working and moving in me, but also, who am I? And, and who am I right now? Who am I right now? And what John is doing this is, is asking this question that, that we can draw from this is who are you? Who are you? When it comes to your identity in Christ, who are you? Because when we understand who we are in Christ and what Christ has done and what that means in our life and what he, is, what he is doing and what he has done and what he desires to do, then we can see what it looks like to walk in light, to pursue light, to flee from darkness and not to walk in darkness, to grow in the light and not to grow in the darkness. And so in these three verses, John gives these five categories as we can draw from and understand who we are in Christ. This is the affirmation. This is the positive enforcement that John is giving the readers of this, of who are they to be like as they walk in the light. So in verse 12, he says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for you for his namesake. So who are you in Christ? You are forgiven. You are forgiven. 
That is who you are. When you are in Christ, you are forgiven fully. Past, present, future. The sins that you pursued, the sins that you're in, the sins that you will pursue, Christ has forgiven you. God the Father in his love for you sent Jesus, his son, to die for you. And if you are saved, you are forgiven. When you run, he forgives. When you plead for something else, he forgives. This is who they are. And the fact that you and I are forgiven speaks to who God is and not to who we are. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. And here's the deal. Satan hates that you are forgiven. He hates that it's not a count that's building against you. He hates that in Christ and in Christ alone, you are forgiven. So he uses shame and guilt to keep you in your sin. And he tries to defeat that which has been redeemed. And so in this, we find within ourselves that we have a hard time forgiving ourselves, that we have a hard time forgiving others. And then we apply that to the Lord. But God doesn't have a hard time forgiving you because he's paid the action through Christ and through Christ fully. And so John says that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake, for his name's sake. Now as recipients of grace, we live in the benefit of this. But John says that we are forgiven, that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And what does that mean? It means this. It's not in your ability and your merit and who you are that you are forgiven, but it is in the name of Jesus Christ that sins are forgiven. It's not in the name of works. It's not in the name of religion. It's not in the name of any other pursuit, but it is in the name of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that you are forgiven. That's why Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life through him, which means this, it's for his glory. So that when we live in grace, when we live in the beauty of what the gospel does for us, it's not for our glory, it's not for my glory, it's not for our glory, it's for for his glory in his name. So we are forgiven, you are forgiven. But the next part of our identity that John covers, and, and we're looking at the first part of verse 13, is that you know Christ. You know Christ. First part of verse 13, he says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. You know Jesus. You know Jesus. You have experienced and are in experiencing a relationship with him. And when you know him, he knows you. Jesus paints a picture for this in John 10, chapter 27, and he says this, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And I love that picture that Jesus gives of what a relationship looks like. He says, my sheep know my voice. I know them and they follow me. So here's what Jesus describes of what it's like to to know him. Number one within there, Jesus implies through this that he's our shepherd. He's where we find our comfort, our safety, our life. He's where we find our satisfaction. He's where every need is met. This is who Jesus is. He's the provider and the protector of everything. And all we have is because of him. Jesus is our shepherd. And here's what's beautiful. He says, I know his voice. We have an overly aggressive, energetic dog at our house, all right? Julie just laughed. She lives across the street from us, right? If you've met Otis, you know that Otis is a wild man. And I took him to the vet on Friday. And they, at our vet, they come in and they, they greet you and then they put you into a room and then they take the dog back away from you to do whatever they're going to do now. And I said to the vet tech, I don't recommend that. I just don't. And then Otis went back in the back with her. 
And then I'll just say for the next five or 10 minutes, there was a lot of noise, right? And then they brought Otis back to me and he heard my voice (laughs) and he listened. The vet came back out. First thing she said, you've got a beautiful and healthy and really energetic dog. (laughs) It's like, yeah, we know, we know. Next time, let's just do this here, right? Right, is where we are. But here's the difference. He's not listening to them because he doesn't know their voice. Jesus says that I know my sheep, my sheep, and they hear my voice. And they run, and they come to, and they listen to the voice that they know. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? I hear people say so often, it's so hard in this world to follow and listen to Jesus. And I just wanna ask the question, and this is the question when that statement comes up in my heart. Really? Because you know his voice. Is it hard to listen or is it hard to obey? The third thing that Jesus says in John 10, 27 is that he knows me. He knows me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. I know them. If this isn't a spiritual hug for you this morning, I'm sorry, but I just wanna say this. Jesus knows you. He knows right where you're at. He knows every battle you're facing. He knows every insecurity that is building up in you. He knows every area of strength, every area of weakness. He knows all your good, all your bad, all your ugly. Jesus knows the beauty that is in you and Jesus knows the sin that you're capable of. And he loves you and the Bible tells us that Jesus knows you. In this world, you may feel insignificant. In this world, you may feel that you're not heard. In this world, you may feel like no one cares. In this world, you may feel that no one knows you. And I just want to tell you, Jesus knows you. He knows you. We hear his voice. And he knows us. And we know him. And then Jesus says, and here's what my sheep do. They follow me. They follow me. They follow me. They walk where the shepherd walks. They go where the shepherd sins. They do what the shepherd does. They follow me. They walk in light, not in darkness. You know Jesus. The third thing that John says here is he says you were in victory. Look at the second part of of verse 13. We're going to look at one more part of this. But he says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Now, all of these statements that John is is giving are, are promises, are fulfilled promises and fulfilling promises. Jesus doesn't lie. God's word doesn't lie. Have you ever made a promise you didn't fulfill? Yes, absolutely you have. Jesus doesn't do that. God's word doesn't do that. So when John writes, he says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. You have. You've overcome. You are in victory. But you say, but it didn't feel like that. I understand. Oftentimes, our feelings lie, lie to us and deceive us of the truth that we know. Spiritual warfare is real. Jesus himself tells us that Satan is like a lion roaming. That Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. That this is who he is. But what happens within us is we forget that we are not hoping for victory that will come, but right now that you and I in Christ, we are victors in him. And oftentimes we see ourselves as those who are solely in the conflict 
and we miss the fact that because the tomb is empty, Jesus has already won. And when we are in him, we are in victory. I read this quote, and if you're like, Bobo, you don't know the battle I'm in. You're right. But here's what I want to share with you, this, this quote. It says, in victory with Christ, this does not mean you are pulled from the battlefield, but it does mean that you can face the battle without fear or wavering. I get it. If you're not in the battle, something's wrong. If you're not in the battle, then you better be waiting for it. But just because we're in the battle doesn't mean that the victory hasn't already been won. The, the fourth thing that we see here from John is you are instructable. You are instructable. Last part of verse 13, I write to you little children because you have known the Father. Now, now here, this looks like some similar language that we've seen previously in verse 12 and in part of verse 13. But, but John does something here that, that is different than what he's done before, and, and particularly in the word that he uses for children. In, in verse 12, the word for children is, is used for uh, the description of a child that is depending on its parent. So here's what we can draw from that with verse 12 is that you and I as a child of Christ depend on his forgiveness. We cling to that. That's what we need. But here at, at the end of verse 13, he uses a different word for children that carries with it a different meaning. And here the word for child that is used is the focus is on the developmental immaturity of a child. And it paints a picture that children, right, they're, they're immature and therefore need to be under the guidance or instruction of the parent. And, and maybe a better word than immature is ignorance. Right? They're ignorant until they're taught. They're ignorant until they're instruction, instructed. And so this is why, parents, we teach our kids, whether by direct instruction or observation of how to walk through life. It's why we don't take a three-year-old, hey, mom and dad are going out for dinner tonight, fix yourself something to eat. Why? Because they're an immature child. That's bad. You deserve to go to jail if you do that, right? That's where we are. So, so John writes this and says that we, like immature children that need to be instructed by the Father, but it's not in a negative sense that he gives this to us. He doesn't say, you know what, you're so bad and you're so wrong and you need to be instructed. He says, no, 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 you're, you're instructable. You're capable of learning. You're capable of doing. This is who you are in Christ. So not only in your life and in my life is there room for growth and obedience, but that through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we're capable of that. And no sin that you have and no sin that I have is too big to overcome through the working of the Lord. We're instructable. And that gives us some great freedom and hope to know that that which tries to imprison me and enslave me, victory's already been won and through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through the power of my own, there's victory that can be found in that because I'm instructable. And then John says in verse 14, he says, you are strong, you are strong. I have written to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. John surmises in verse 14, all that he says, 
This is the word, what the world wants to tell you that you're weak. But because the word of God is in you, you are strong. Go walk in light. Go be who God, oh, all that God has called you to be. Go grow in the areas that you need to grow. Live in victory on the battlefield, not in a, in a, in a false sense of defeat. Be who you are. Walk in light. And then he, he continues on. We're going we're gonna to look at these, the remainder of chapter 2. He says this. Look at verse 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And the challenge that I want to give us this morning is this. Don't waste your love. Don't waste your love. Have you ever been hurt in love? From everything from that first girlfriend in fifth grade, you wrote the note to, and she circled yes, right? I just realized that I spoke to a generation just then that have no clue what I'm talking about, right? Or you sent her a text, right? Or there we are, right? And said yes, and then a few minutes later, you got one back that said, nah, never mind, just kidding, right? All the way to a relationship that you're investing in and that you're hoping to share the gospel with, and they've hurt you. And you feel like my love has been wasted. I've poured all of that into this, and yet I feel like it's gone. All the way to the things of this world that we pursue that are not of God. Here's the truth of what it means to love. God calls us to love. We are to be people of love. And in that, he loves us and we love him. And we love each other and we love lost people. It's why we gather together. It's why we open his word. It's why we give our offerings. It's why we come to him in prayer. It's why we invest in others. It's why we share hope. It's why we disciple. It's why we go. It's why we do anything that we do is out of love. God loves us and calls us to love. From two weeks ago, it's why we turn the other cheek. It's why we give our cloak. It's why we go the extra mile. It's why we give to those who need, because God calls us to love. And all of this flows from something. All that he's called us to, all that he demands from us, it comes from our love for him and his love for us. The love that he calls us to is a love that is not rooted in ourselves, in our circumstances, or in our culture, but is rooted, watered, and grown in our our love for him, all love that he calls us to comes from him. And when we go and love out of that source, when we go and love because he first loved us, it's not wasted. It's not wasted because it brings him glory in our obedience. But John warns here that when we walk in light, this is the love. But his warning is when we walk in darkness, there's wasted love. There's sinful love. And he categorizes it by the, by, by, by the love of the world. But then he describes it. He says it's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. It's the pride of life of the things we, we look at and we pursue. And I'm sure we can break out smaller categories that flow from here. But John surmises all of this of the wasted love. He describes the sins of the flesh. So these are the sinful car, uh, cravings that you and I desire 
in our life, right? Like our need to be right, our need to acquire more, our need to engage in gossip, our need to be selfish, our need to take, our need to speak ill of, our need to murder, our need to build idols. All of these would fall into this category of the lust of the flesh that we have. It's the cravings, the sinful desires that we find within us. And John says, when we love those things, it's not the love of God. It's the love of sin that's in our life. Not to pursue. He gives us another category. He says, it's, it's the lust of the eyes. It's, it's the lust of, of sexual and sexuality. That's not from the Lord, but from the world of what captures our eyes, of the places that we go to seek the carnal satisfactions that we long for that are outside of the will of the Lord. He says it's the pride of life that's there. The possessions of this world that say, look at me and look at who I am. And God says, no, 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 that's not what I, what I have for you right? The, the, the last verse that we see, the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. Pastor John Piper said this, read in one of his sermons this week. He's talking about pursuing the love of the world, of the love of God. And he said, the love for the world in our hearts pushes out the love for God. But the love for God in our hearts pushes out the love for the world. So who do we seek? What are we longing for? The things that will, are the things that we treasure the things that fade? Or do we treasure him who's eternal? What are we seeking? As we wrap up and look at the last several verses of this chapter, John is addressing a topic within here that we haven't really talked a lot about yet for those um, that he's writing. And he's building them to live in a world that is broken, in a world that is fallen, and to go and to be those who walk in the truth. But yet there and today, there are those who claim truth, but who lay a path of false teaching. And John addresses this. Look at verse 18. He says, little children, it is in the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. But even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist for who denies the father and the son. Whoever denies the son does not have the father either. He who acknowledges the son has the father also. Now we can read this passage of scripture where John says there is a coming large a antichrist that we see in Revelation but right now we live in a world of multiple, they aren't thee, but they take the form and act like those who want to deceive. And we can act like, you know what, this is a first church problem. Like we've grown from that. We've evolved from that. No, we haven't. John's warning to the church is this, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. 
Satan's like that lion, roaming, seeking to be, seeking to destroy. Don't be deceived. This week isn't uncommon and unlike any other week and a lot of the things that pop up, but it just seemed that through the news that I read, God just began to, to draw me to some things that just hurt my heart for where those who claim to be followers and pastors and teachers of God's word have gone. I read way too many instances of pastors who were speaking not truth, but lies and basing it out of scripture. I think the one that struck me the most that I'll share with you just briefly about was this, I read about a pastor this week, an evangelical pastor. We're gonna talk about evangelical here in a minute, but, but we'll give some examples. But, but here's what, let me, let me say, let me kind of define that. If you're like, I don't know really what that word means, and there's kind of a negative connotation maybe even in that word. So what we think about an evangelical, if you don't like evangelicals, but, but you're here, guess what? You're evangelical, right? That's who we are. Uh, we are evangelical. So when you think through evangelicals, uh, there, there's a large uh, umbrella of denominations that fall under that. Uh, Baptist, we are that. Uh, we will find that in our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, our Methodist brothers and sisters, other denominations. If you want more of a list, we can sit down and have that conversation later. But a well-known, popular, e influential, evangelical pastor preached this this past Sunday. Here's the main point of the message. Jesus struggled with pedophilia and homosexuality. Nope. 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 And you think that's crazy. But the lies of Satan are real and they fill pulpits all over this world. In November of 2022, Christianity Today released a, a, a survey, and I apologize, I forget the number of people, but it was a large number of people that they polled. The people that they polled all uh, claimed to be followers of, Christ, uh, followers of Christ and evangelicals. So brothers and sisters who are like-minded with us, right? So we're Baptists. There's some differences between us and, and, and Presbyterians and, and Methodists and, and, and Pentecostals, but, but we all understand that we're all a part of the same family, right? We, we disagree on some things, but we agree at the core of who Christ is, what it means to be saved. So if you're visiting with us this morning and you're not Baptist, man, we love you. We're glad we're going to hang out in heaven. If you want to sit down over a cup of coffee and talk about some of our disagreements, like we'll hug before, we'll hug after right? But Christianity Today polled a large number of evangelicals and asked them core questions about our faith, things we don't disagree on. And here are the results. 56% of evangelical Christians in the United States believe that Jesus Christ is not the only way to God. 73% believe that Jesus was created by God. 43% believe that Jesus is not God. 60% believe that the Holy Spirit is not a personal being and therefore deny the Trinity. And 57% believe that humans are not sinful by nature. So here's the deal. We're not that far from first generation Christianity. And there are antichrists who roam around doing the work of Satan behind a pulpit every Sunday in America.
But John continues. How do we fight this? How do we say, nope, not me? How do we say, no, not my family? How do we say, no, not my church? How do we do that? Look at verse 24 through 27, we'll close with this. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that, that anyone teach you, but as the anointing teaches you concerning all things that is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Here's where we have to be, church. Let God's word abide in you, and you abide in the Spirit of God. Let God's word abide in you, and you abide in the Spirit of God. And here's what it means to abide in God's word. That this is true. This is true. Every word from Genesis to Revelation, every word of it is true. And that we abide in it. And that what God gives us through his grace and his kindness are preachers and teachers who are filled by the Spirit to walk and to instruct and to guide and to teach. But what he also gives us is his Holy Spirit who lives in us and who testifies to what's true. In that same study, 26% of evangelicals openly stated that they don't believe the Bible is true. Which, let me go back and look at my notes. If 73% believe that Jesus was created by God, I would say that 73% don't believe that the Bible is true. 38% of evangelicals do not believe in objective, absolute truth. 38%, but what does that mean? Here's what that means. 38% of evangelicals believe that truth is what they determine it to be. And if it doesn't feel right, and it doesn't feel good, then it is no longer truth. Right? So how do we, how are we different? Right? We've got to devour God's word. We've got to devour God's word. <laughs> so my morning routine is I, I get up and it's my job to start the coffee. So I get up every morning, go downstairs, start the coffee. Aaron's been up way longer. I get up, get it going. Once that coffee pot beeps, that is the sweetest noise. Because this is the perfect time. And I sit down, first thing I do, and I pour me a nice big tall cup of coffee. I sit down, I reach out, and I grab this thing. And I get on Twitter. You thought I was going to say my Bible app. I appreciate that. I get on Twitter, and here's a tweet that I read. <laughs> if you have time to get on social media, watch a TV show, and have a cup of coffee, you have time to open God's Word. So I reached over and grabbed my Bible. Right? 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 Devour God's word. Devour it. Is it confusing sometimes? Yes. Is it hard sometimes? Absolutely. Devour it. Devour it. Devour it. Read it and read it and read it. Decorate your house with it. Put it all over your office. Talk about it with your kids. 
Take notes and messages. Devour it. Devour God's word. And depend on the Holy Spirit. Depend on the Holy Spirit. If you're there and you're like, well, Bo, I, I, don't, I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to do. I want to encourage you with just, just a few things and how I've noticed the Spirit of God work in me still today when it comes to God's word. Start small. Start small, right? How many of you have ever set a fitness goal? Maybe something crazy like run a marathon. Never done that, right? But I'm gonna run a marathon. You know what you do day one? If your desire is to, to, if your goal is to run a marathon, you know what you should do? Go out that day and run one. Nope. Go out that day and walk around the yard. Like, right, like let's, let's begin there. Start small. Start small with God's word. Start small. God's word isn't small, but maybe we need to start small. Maybe we don't need to jump into Leviticus, Isaiah, Romans, Revelation. But maybe take a season and hang out in Mark and watch the power of the truth that comes out of God's word when we start small. Number two, journal. Journal. Write down what you're reading. Write down what confuses you. Write down what is difficult. Journal. Journal. Number three, do it more and not less. Do it more and not less. Start small. Read while you sip on your coffee. Do it more. Start small. Open up your Bible at lunch. Start small. Do it more, not less. Open it up at dinner time. Start small, not less. Read it as you go to bed and watch what God does in this. Number four, engage with a group of people who are doing it as well. Your Christian walk was never designed for you to be isolated and alone, just walking on and trying to figure this out. Your Christian walk, God never planned for you to come to a church every Sunday morning, sit down, hear some guy talk about God's word, and then go home and try to do it all by yourself for the rest of the week. You didn't. It's not in there. It's a group of people that are gathering together. Do it with a group of people. Do it in a small group. Do it with your family. Do it with people at work. Come alongside. Learn from one another. Every Thursday, I meet with a group of men for lunch. And we sit down and we talk about what God has taught us. And the beauty of that is I learn way more from them than they do me. Engage with a group of people. And lastly, before you open God's word, pray. While you're reading God's word, pray. After you read God's word, pray. Pray. Because there's antichrist that roam around. And if they can't get you, they want to get those that you love. And what we need is not men and women standing on the sideline saying, that's not my fight. But we want warriors of God's word in the battle, proclaiming the truth of who Christ is and his love for us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning. We're just thanking you for who you are. And Lord, your kindness toward us. Lord, I thank you that in Christ, that I am forgiven, that this is who we are. Lord, I thank you that, that we know Christ, that you are our shepherd, that we hear your voice, that you know us, and that we follow you. God, I thank you that while the battle is real and we have the scars and the wounds to prove it, we are not simply a people waiting for victory, but we are, we are in the victory now. Lord, I thank you that I am not a lost product, that there's not hope for me, 
that in your kindness and in your mercy and in your spirit in me, Lord, that I am instructable, that this is not as good as it gets, that you, that the world just doesn't have to take me for who I am. No, 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 no. There's more of your spirit in me that needs to work on me and work in me and make me more like Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for that. And Lord, I thank you. We are strong. We are strong. Because your word is in us. The spirit of God is in us. So Lord, I pray that we would go be people of truth, that we would go be people of love, Lord, that we would walk in the light and be people of light, of truth, and hope, and forgiveness, and grace, and mercy, and redemption, and sanctification. And that, Lord, as we live, we would live for your glory and for your name, that those who know I'm sorry, Lord, that those who don't know may know that they would be introduced to the shepherd and that they would be found in him. Lord, may we go from here loving because you have loved us. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.